issues with putting our sons to sleep recently. It's been insane. The eclipse of awoken the beast in them. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. Today on the show, we're talking about 2004's Maribito, which was directed by, let's see here, Takashi Shimizu, who uh, I looked up on IMDb. This guy is kind of Miike-esque in his the amount of movies he puts out. He puts out between one and three movies a year, it looks like. There doesn't seem to quite be the variety that Miike has. A lot of it seems like horror stuff. But we're talking about one of his maybe not lesser known films, but it's definitely not his most famous, which would probably be Juan and the Grudge series in general. But he's done a Tomie movie, which links it to our last episode. Uh, and he did this one. But in order to get the most out of this movie, we invited on Ren Collier, who wrote a pretty badass essay about the movie. So Ren, what's up, man? Thanks for coming hey. on the show. Thanks for inviting me on. I remember when I first found your show, I was like, oh shit, it's like other people that are into like Nikkei and like these Japanese movies that I feel like were like really hot around like the early 2000s. And now I never hear anybody talk about them anymore. So hearing you guys talk about these, I was like, oh man, I would, if these guys ever watch Mari Vito, like I would love to talk to them about this because it's like one of my favorite low budget J-horror movies. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, I got invited to write like an essay for a collection on fairy themes in film. Um, and it was kind of just like a thing where a friend of mine, Josh Cutchin, who's done like a lot of books on um, sort of like fairy folklore and, and like the paranormal. And he, he invited me to do it. And it was a collection of other people I knew um, put out by Robbie Graham, um, who's probably most famous for like a recent essay collection about like UFOs. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, it's a little incestuous, like a lot of people that know each other, but that's how it always is, dude. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's everything. I remember Kutchin had, oh, had a Rune Soup episode, right? He was on. Yeah, Rune yeah, Soup he did. Before. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I thought, yeah, so. I, met, I met you through Rune Soup. So we had that, that connection, but um, yeah, I got invited to write a thing for this and I thought, you know, uh, okay, well, people are going to write like crap about like Labyrinth and Pan's Labyrinth and that kind of stuff. But I'm like, I want to write about this weird shaver mystery like referencing lovecraft referencing j-horror film because it has like fairy themes in it uh because i mean i don't know you look through culture and almost everything does because it's like you know it, it's like a common folklore around the world and that common yeah. folklore influences all kinds of art and stuff but but yeah i think i was originally drawn to it too because uh shinya sukamoto is like the main character yeah and, yeah you, know, you guys are mm -hmm. fans of him so he's a he's a really good actor um, yeah he's so good in it yeah, Kel Kelby, uh, what did you say earlier when we were talking about this, about him being good? Oh, when when uh, when he's not speaking English. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like in like in Tetsuo 3. That, just, we just don't, we just pretend Tetsuo 3 doesn't exist on this show. Um, Although I love the line, ladies and gentlemen, let's party. Yeah, that, that, is, that is pretty good. But uh yeah, so there's a lot to talk about with this. And you talk about uh, the fairy lore aspect of it, which I was looking for because I read, uh, I kind of, the way I watch movies is fucked up. So I, I watch movies like 15 minutes at a time because, you know, kid and stuff. So I would like watch 15 minutes and then read your essay up to where I was in the movie. Um, but what when I, when he first, 
the movie starts and uh, it's this, oh, fuck, how, do, how does it start? Well, I'm just going to jump to the part that I was thinking of, right? So eventually he goes down into uh, like the kind of Tokyo underworld uh, yeah. and pops out at what he calls the mountains of madness. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking of uh, Makin's The White People. Did you ever read that, that no. novella? I haven't read that. Okay. Novel. Okay, it's a it's really good. Uh, the podcast Weird Studies did an episode that was just one of the hosts reading the white people, mm-hmm. um, but it's about a girl who gets led into the land of fairy, and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because there isn't a typical what we would call a three act structure. It's literally just following her through this weird kind of bizarre world that she got seduced into. Yeah. But that's what came to mind with that. But we can back up who wants to who wants to summarize actually you know what i'm just gonna i feel like ren should summarize this because <laughs> you clearly you clearly know this this movie you don't have to he do the a little thing. bit about it <laughs> yeah he knows a thing or two about a thing or two so maybe just like the beginning and then we'll then we'll pause okay cool so the, the kind of the setup of the film is it's about this guy masuoka is played by shinya sukamoto and he's like a sort of a an amateur filmmaker but also kind of like a he does gig jobs for like the local news agency just doing like cameraman work and stuff. And he's obsessed with like fear and like the unknown. Like he's, he's kind of the guy who spends a ton of time like on 4chan or like rotten.com or something. And just like looks at all of these like horrifying images and stuff, but always feels like it's like kind of like fake or not real or not like true horror. Um, And he's obsessed with like finding like what true horror really is. Because ultimately, he's like kind of an alienated guy himself, right? Like his, you find out later, like his wife has left him. He's kind of all alone in the world and seems like he's like the typical alienated Japanese hikikomori kind of guy, like that ton were like left in the wake of like the bubble collapse. And wears really high waisted pants. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's not like an otaku, but he's just kind of like a, like a loner. Like he's like the kind of dude that would do like a mass shooting or something. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the with the four chan thing. That's yeah. literally who yeah. I, who I picture. He's got incel I, vibes. I yeah, incel yeah. vibes. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And so he, um, one day while like coming back from a job, he sees he sees a guy in the subway named Ari Kuroki, and this guy shoves a knife into his own eye and kills himself. And he films it, and he becomes obsessed with this because he he wants to know like what. Kuroki could have seen that was like so horrifying that he would gouge out his own like he would kill himself by stabbing his own eye and so he starts um taking these like long walks through like the subway system and stuff at night and he ends up like following these like he starts seeing these like strange creatures and he like refers to them as like a darrow which is a reference to the shaver mystery like the detrimental robots which are these creatures that live underground that beam horrible thoughts into people's brains and like kidnap people and torture them underground and so he follows them into this underground labyrinth and it kind of goes through layers, right? Like first he's in the subway and then he's in these old like World War II era bunkers and tunnels and stuff. And he ends up meeting the ghost of the guy who stabbed himself in the eye, uh, Kuroki. And Kuroki tells him like about a Gartha, like the, the hollow earth and the, the, you know, the city under, under the ground and everything. And eventually ends up finding himself in what you described. Yeah. He, he describes it as the mountains of madness, but it's basically like this giant hollow earth kind of place. Yeah, and right. in the area, he finds a girl like chained up to a wall and rescues her or quote unquote rescues her. He like takes her and takes her back above ground. And he then sort of finds out that like 
she won't eat anything. She's like really sick and, and like dying. And then he finds out that she likes to uh, eat blood. And so he starts feeding her his own blood, but then starting to get like blood from other people. And uh, I don't know. Do you want to? Yeah, let's pause because there's, there's a lot there, right? Yeah. So yeah. the first <laughs> thing that you brought up was Richard Shaver, who yeah. I knew about because of, I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, Yul Armacek. You know this guy? This, yeah, this you. Yeah, yeah. I'm friends with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he does these Twitter spaces. He has like a coast to coast nightly Twitter space, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the Shaver Rock books, and uh, also this guy whose name I can't remember, but who used to do divination with bear grease. He would he would put bear grease into a jar and look at the different almost like I guess sediment layers of the grease and he was somehow able to tell the future mm-hmm. through that. But the Shaver Rock books are really interesting because yeah, at the end of this guy's life, I guess he would just crack open rocks and look at the you know the striations and be like, can anybody else see what I'm seeing here? Like this is a language, and. Yeah. People are like, nah, rise. No. <laughs> yeah, he believed that like uh there was like information like holographically encoded into like rocks and things like that by this sort of ancient civilization that existed right. in humanity. By like uh Atlanteans, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of like an Atlantean kind of thing. Like the idea in the, the Shaver mystery is that like you have this sort of race of uh basically like enlightened masters. It's all like real the coming race kind of stuff that like. Uh, lived underground they're kind of atlantean and then like the earth gets bombarded by like cosmic rays or something that they have to like leave earth and the darrow are basically like these engineered life forms that they leave behind who have like just sort of been left to their own devices underground have like mutated and just like gone insane i mean shaver's really fascinating because like his whole deal was that he started sending these like letters uh to ray palmer of uh, amazing stories and like um being like you know these these creatures underground are like tormenting me and sending thoughts into my head and stuff and on the surface it very much just looks like shaver was suffering from like paranoid schizophrenia i mean like uh if you ever look up like the heirloom gang it's like a common paranoid schizophrenic sort of hallucination that like people are like beaming bad thoughts into your head what is what's the significance of the darrow in this movie so in this movie why 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 that as the monster i guess is what i'm saying you know that i'm really not sure i've thought about that a lot and i I feel like i feel like it's mainly just like a uh, a foreign pop culture reference that would feel very esoteric to like a Japanese audience, you know, sort of the similar like way we we use other cultures like folklore and stuff to kind of create a, a mysterious thing in our own fiction. I don't know if it goes deeper than that. Um, I mean, there is a bit of uh, a bit of this in the sense that Masuoka throughout the movie, there's this question of whether or not he's hallucinating or like it's just mm-hmm. insane, right? Or whether or not he's actually seeing the stuff that he's seeing. And so in this, in that sense, the Darrow do kind of like appear at the edges of his sanity, you know, like they, they sort of lead him on into this thing, but they're, they're always sort of left ambiguous about whether or not they're real. Cause he never talks to any of them. They just sort of always, like he sees them running into an alley or like running through a tunnel or something, you know? And what's so funny about them too, is that when I first saw them, I thought it was a really striking image because I think that Shimizu is a, uh... The Grudge is one of the like my top ten scariest movies, or Juan, I should say, the, yeah, the yeah. original one. He's really good at these uh, startling images. So when you yeah. kind of first see the Darrow and it's all washed out, it's just like this this white uh, looks like it's out of a tool video or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I like I thought that, that was really 
kind of disturbing. But that it's funny because by the end, when you see them, mm-hmm. it reminded me of. Do you, did you ever see the uh, the five second films, the comedy series Five Second Films? That sounds familiar to me. I think so. It was a maybe like two thousand and six or two thousand and seven. These yeah. guys would do five second films, and one of them was like you know uh, bank robbers running out of a sperm bank and getting shot, and you know <laughs> but a bunch of cum coming out of their bat, like their money bags <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but one of them was about shark people, and they look exactly like the the Darrow in this movie. So <laughs> I by the end, but it's interesting, right? How something I think if something is truly kind of disturbing, the more you look at it it's going to look a little goofy after a yeah. while. I mean, that's why, you know, the more effective tactic in horror movies is to show as little as possible, of like whatever you're trying to be scary, you know, just like show it in flashes. But I, I do like too that, like it taps into the age old thing that if you want to make a person look weird and spooky, all you got to do is like shave their eyebrows and it just makes yeah. it really look Yeah, true. Like Have you seen <laughs> Julia Fox? Freaky. It works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell Satan. <laughs> the Darrow's first popped up on the periphery of my sanity too watching this i was like rubbing my eyes when the the first time they pop up when he's going down into the the subway tunnel to hell or whatever and that first whitewashed image of it and you see the sort of scattering of the limbs like as their monkey crawling away i was rubbing my eyes and i was fully focused on the movie too i was like what did uh was that actually in the movie like for a minute i was like <laughs> Did that really happen? Something that's really cool about this movie is that it does have this kind of shot on video <clears throat> DIY feel. Oh yeah. That yeah. I think is I think is used really effective. Like the only other movie I can think of that used it, well, of course there's Inland Empire, right? But um this reminded me more of like Visitor Q or something like that. Yeah. Just had yeah. that kind of grimy feel, like yeah, I don't know, it just feels like the movie smells weird. That's yeah. the only way I could describe it. <laughs> Well, it is like, it is, I think, like a director video. Well, it's like a, a lot of those J-horror films are like direct video um, but it is shot on digital and it looks kind of cheap, but I think that's like in its favor. Like it has this, and it makes sense too with the main character being like a cameraman who has this little digital camera with him. And there's like some scenes in the movie that are just like through his viewfinder, you know, like like the scene with the where he like murders the girl later on. Like, I, I think that the kind of low budget feel, it's almost like, um, maybe this isn't a great comparison, but it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of feel to right. it, you know, where it's oh, like- it is a good one, yeah. Like grimy because it feels cheap. It feels like dirty. Like the whole movie feels like grimy. So It also one, helps all the crazy tonal shifts too. Yeah because you buy into it more how weird it gets because there's no huge budget like crazy effects it's just that continuously diy inland empire look to it you know he goes to the great snowy mountains of madness underneath the earth and you're like for all that i've you know i saw i watched the movie i watched the ending twice i read the essay and i'm still like did that really happen? And I think it, it was so entrancing and like sort of jarring because a, a lot due in part to uh, how it's how it's filmed. Yeah, like that. It it captures this like I hate this fucking word because it's overused now, but like liminality, right? Like it captures the sense of like. Have you guys ever done any like urban exploration? Like explore like storm drains and that kind of shit. Oh yeah. Uh... 
Yeah, I mean, fucking around with friends, sure. Yeah, I've been yeah. in a few tunnels, yeah. And it's sort of like that same, it, it really, I think, effectively, like, captures that sensation of, like, being underground and, like, being, and that's why I called the essay, like, deep. Like, it's about about being underground, like, about being in caverns and abandoned places. Because um, so much of the movie, like, one thing I think it points out really well, because there's this, I think, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where there's like a woman that confronts him and she claims to be his wife and that she wants to know like what he's done with her daughter. And he kind of like freaks out and kills her to steal her blood to feed to the, the girl that he's like taken from the underworld. And there's a scene of her just like laying there, like in the trash, like bleeding out while like people walk past on the street and like don't even notice. And I thought that was super cool because it's pointing out that like even in places that feel like heavily populated there's like cracks and alleys everywhere like there's there's like a these these spaces that like people just don't see all around us all the time yeah that, that's just called minding your own business <laughs> <laughs> oh that and that urban exploration brought back this one time i was at a uh a battle of the bands thing i was in few different bands as a teenager and we were doing this battle of the bands in houston and uh we were i don't remember staying at the hotel but i guess we were performing at this hotel and while walking around waiting on like other people to wrap up their sets or whatever we uh made it to this part of the hotel that wasn't barricaded and it wasn't locked and there was no signage but it was completely empty and like totally abandoned it was like a hotel in itself because this is like near a galleria area it's like a part of i think it might have actually been the fucking galleria actually i think it was and we started walking around like the totally empty area and everything and like the elevators still worked so we're riding up the elevator and everything. We go to the top floor. It's got like this giant ballroom with floor to ceiling windows. And so we're seeing like the whole city and like it's starting to get late, like the sun is setting and it's like really crazy. And, you know, that sort of liminal vibe of like kind of haunted and we're like spooking each other and all this shit, trying to freak each other out. And uh, we go to get back on the elevator and run into a dude who's carrying a plate of lemons. And we're like what the fuck and he doesn't even like address that we're not supposed to be there or whatever he's just yeah. like oh are y'all going down we're like yeah and this <laughs> and this is like abandoned to the point of like there's no chairs no nothing there's no fucking reason for a few like teen hood rats to be hanging out up there he said that and my friend thought quicker than i did and was like uh yeah i think we're, we're gonna head down a little bit like, oh, he, he got on the elevator and went down. And my friend was like, Yeah, I'm not getting on the elevator with that dude. Fuck that. Yeah, that's fucking smart. You guys are about to die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, you just reminded me, Kelby, of I used to work at a place called Fountain Plaza in Portland, in downtown Portland, Oregon. Uh it's you know, it's a big building, you know, really rich people live there, like Paul Allen lived there. Right. It was, you know, it was like an office building, but the <clears throat> the top from like the 12th floor to the 18th floor were, you know, these every floor had four condos. and You know, they had these great views and probably astronomically expensive. But I my whole job was to sit at the at the front door, open the door for people. And then if nobody was coming, I could just like sit there in front of the security cameras and kind of do whatever I wanted. It was kind of a sick job, but at one point 
this woman who'd worked there, one of the sweetest women I've ever met. Her name is Doris. She's 81 years old. She lived in Portland her whole life. So she had all these great stories about the ways that Portland changed and you know how she remembered riding the trolley as a girl. But she was like, okay, we need to actually go clean the fountain, right? Because out in the courtyard, there's this big fountain, thus the name. And so she takes me down, like this door. It's actually right there in the lobby that I had just never paid attention to before. Cause you know, you file things away. It's like, Oh, that's a broom closet or whatever. And so she opens it and it's these concrete stairs that go down to another door. And I was like, Oh, this is already spooky. I hate this shit. So we go down and we're in this sort of, uh, you know, this sort of narrow, almost tunnel. And we come out into this enormous concrete basement with like kind of another fountain in it, almost like the, the fountains double or something. But I guess that's where you controlled the way that the fountain worked up top. And I just remember there was like a single light hanging in this kind of cavernous basement that I didn't know existed. And then there was a, you know, a, like a yoga mat and a bunch of weights. And I was like, what's, what's up with that? And she's like, oh yeah, sometimes, sometimes Carl comes down here and works out. I had no idea who the fuck that was. That wasn't somebody who lived there. There was just a dude who had a gym set up underneath fountain. I hope I'm not putting anybody on blast. Sorry, Carl. Uh, hope they don't raid your space. But I always thought that would make a great opening for a movie, wherever the main character is, like underground. There's just some dude who goes there to work out. And now he, there can be a guy with lemons too. So. Yeah. Are, are either of you guys familiar with the whole backrooms thing? No. Yeah, yeah, oh God, it's just that? freaky. Yeah, you should, you should check this out, David. It's like, um, I think it started out just like as a creepy pasta thing on 4chan. Uh, it was just like a picture of like a room with like sickly green carpet and like yellow wallpaper and, and like horrible fluorescent lighting and just looked. And they were talking about how it was a place uh, that's like this infinitely big procedurally generated labyrinth of like yellow rooms that uh you like end up in if you fall out of reality like if you no clip out of reality by accident oh and, fuck uh, that bro that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh there's like it became this whole like kind of like like sensation like there's this one guy on youtube that makes these like short films that are all like set in it and stuff and it's it's like super cool and i think it really captures like that that sense of being in like an abandoned place or being in a place that like is familiar but empty like yeah what we talked about this with blower when he was on because we talked about the word liminal and you used it uh what, what does that mean to you what is what is it a vibe because i mean it just means between right yeah but but it is a vibe i think it's just kind of a vibe now like it's an aesthetic thing uh for most people who like kind of utilize that um I don't know. I've been like fascinated with, with the whole idea for like years and years um, because I think there's like something uncanny about uh, like places and things that are familiar, but off somehow, like where like, something's like slightly wrong. Um, like that's what like the original Shining uh, movie, the Kubrick one, I, like that's what always scared me the most about that movie was the fact of like there's like impossible architecture and, and weird geometry and everything feels like slightly askew. You know, like it looks. Did you ever read House of Leaves? Yeah, that was like one of my favorite books when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, because that's that that's that book's whole whole thing, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. the the house is a little bit uh, 
what is it wider on the inside than it is on the outside? Yeah, I, I can't slightly remember. wider. Yeah, it's like slightly bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And then they find like that there's actually like this uh, portal to like an infinite sort of labyrinth under it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a term that you use in your essay since we're talking about going down mm. uh, catabasis. What's yeah. what's what's the, you, you call this movie a catabasis narrative? What what is that about? What yeah, so mean? so catabasis is this idea. Oh, my bad. I know. <laughs> it's like a Greek word. I may be fucking. Up. I'm an idiot. No, go ahead. Man. <laughs> but like, uh, so catabasis is like the typical uh, going into the underworld, like retrieving something and coming back to the surface story. It's like a really common archetype for folklore and stories. Like think about like the legend of Orpheus, like traveling to the underworld, and you know. Uh, getting his, his like wife and bringing her back up, but fucking up at the end. Because a lot of Catabasis stories involve uh, an unsuccessful Catabasis. Like it's, uh, you know, they go down in the underworld to do something, but they fuck it up and end up getting trapped there forever um, right. because they screwed it up. Like there's actually a lot less stories where it's successful. Like I think like, like one of Hercules' labors is like a successful uh, Catabasis story, but you see it all over the place and like fiction and like, I think I like in my essay, I, I compared it to um, like the whole idea in the occult of like crossing the abyss, like uh, having this sort of space that you're supposed to traverse um, in order to come out the other side with like knowledge. Um, but if you fuck it up, like the stakes are like the highest they possibly can be. Like you'll never mm -hmm. find your way out. Mm -hmm. again. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, I think it's a very like evocative, uh, evocative thing for for fiction because it's so common a narrative like goes back like it basically is like i mean shit uh epic of gilgamesh has like a katabasis right right it's like it's like one of our oldest stories and you're kind of into thelema right well you know a lot about it or are you a thelemite i consider myself a thelemite but i think my the way i understand it is probably different from how other people understand it um well, like, I guess I'm more drawn to the, uh, like the less the religious side of it. I don't really give a shit about that stuff, but more yeah, the, right. like the philosophical side. Um, like, I think I actually made a joke about this because I, I saw you say something on Twitter that was talking about how it's the thing you guys say all the time on your show about how you're, you should just focus on making like the coolest shit yeah. that you can, you know? Mm -hmm. And like that to me is like a very thalamic idea, like this idea that like you need to be making things that and, and creating things that give you meaning and like that things that you want to be doing. Like, I think a lot of people look at the whole idea of like true will and like do what that will or whatever. And they look at it like, well, that's just saying you can kind of do whatever you want, you know. Um, but really what he's talking about, or at least what I feel like he's talking about is that if you're if you're living your life uh, doing shit that you don't really believe in, like doing things for other people, like worried about what other people are gonna think, and you're not just doing things because you think they're cool or you think they're interesting or you wanna explore them, like you're not being true to yourself and you're gonna be unhappy, right. you know? Like you're gonna be a right. miserable person. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, do what thou wilt. Uh, I mean, you kind of have to know who the you is in the first yeah. place. I yeah. mean, that's the big thing, but yeah, no, I, I definitely vibe with what you're saying about the rules because every, every kind of a religious rabbit hole that I've gone through, uh, 
privately thank god because i see a lot of people going through them publicly on twitter it's so embarrassing to be new to something whether it's buddhism or catholicism or thelema and you know kind of show your growing pains to the world it's like oh god it's called the occult for a reason guys like keep that to yourself (laughs) but like once you get into this kind of stuff though i mean you always find people who are well you know if you're not a fourth level or like even in you know buddhism and shit it's like well this is the these are the ascended people and this is the rules and these are the different levels of hell and this is what and i'm i could not give a fuck less about any of that shit i'm like get back to the part about making cool shit because that's that's the fucking vibe i'm on yeah yeah definitely like uh the aspects of thelema that i'm like i like the gnostic mass i think it's like a cool ritual like i i hang out with thelema people up here and and like do stuff at the local lodge and everything. But for the most part, like, I don't want to be involved with like the church, the Ecclesia Gnostica, the Catholica or whatever. Like, I don't care about that shit. Like, I don't want to be like confirmed. I've never even been baptized. Like, oh, really? Yeah. When, when I was a kid, I used to go to like vacation Bible school. And like um, mm-hmm. one time I got dragged to this like Christian summer camp thing for like an overnight. And I remember like they were like gathering up all the kids to like anybody who hadn't been baptized or just wanted to redo it, I guess. Like they were going to take them down to the river. And um, I remember there were like kids who like had their eyes rolled up in the back of their heads and were like dancing and stuff. And for me, I was just like terrified of it. Yeah. You know, I like went and hid in some bushes. Uh, so like they couldn't find me and like take me down there um, because like I took it super seriously. Like I knew that like, if I was baptized, like it was like making a commitment, uh, right, that, like right. I would be a Christian and I would live a Christian life. And I wasn't sure as a kid, like if I was ready to make that kind of commitment or make that kind of like uh, covenant, you know, so. Sure. No, and that's, I you had you had more foresight than I did because I got baptized twice, dog. I was like, <laughs> yeah, don't me too. I'm ready to go. I'm yeah. ready to go. Do you think do you think baptism is good magic, though? Yeah, I definitely think it is like um, I was thinking about this for my kid. Right. You know, we're, we're thinking about getting them baptized just as like, you know, maybe, maybe a nice Episcopalian church or something. I don't know. Um, It just seems like maybe good protection magic. Yeah, no, I can see it. If you want to do it for protection. um, Yeah, that, that seems solid. I I feel like it's sort of like it would make, it would make more impact or have like more of a, what am I trying to say? Like if it's a decision that you make, like, when you understand like the weight of that decision um because like it's an initiatory experience um most people probably don't see it like that but that's what it is and it is yeah for sure yeah and you know i remember when i was a kid i was in the boy scouts and i did the um the order of the arrow initiation uh i got tapped out for that and um like that was a really profound thing to go through as a kid like having to spend a whole day in complete silence like doing manual labor only being given like a piece of bread and a boiled egg to eat the entire day and then like having to go into the woods um and just like be by myself in the woods uh without a tent without a sleeping bag or anything um dude i didn't know the boy scouts got serious like that that's That's hardcore (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's probably one of the most formative experiences in my childhood it was just like because it was that's kind of cool though it's kind of tight i'm not gonna lie i mean to be honest like i did the initiation into like uh the oto and stuff and that stuff felt like a joke compared to the initiation thing i did when i was a kid like the order of the arrow you and david lynch man you guys yeah yeah i mean look there's a like 
David Lynch has on his Twitter profile just Eagle Scout. That's like mm-hmm. all he has to say about himself. And like, <laughs> if you really got deep into that stuff, like you know why. Like, I mean, I still put it on my resume and stuff that I'm an Eagle Scout. Uh, that is one that like a uh, like I never went through that that stuff, but my brother did, my younger brother. And yeah. anytime I've vouched for him in any kind of way been like nah he's legit like you can trust him or whatever um that's what i bring up i'm like bro he was an eagle scout like it's cool (laughs) it has some weight to it and and especially like the oa is it's sort of like a secret society within scouts it's not like the existence of it isn't secret but like it has like a it's quasi-masonic like it has like a secret handshake and like secret sort of keywords and things like that that like only members are supposed to know um which I don't even remember at all. It's been so many, so long since I did it. But yeah, I mean, like it was a super cool experience to go through as a kid. And like, I don't know, sometimes I, I like, you know, I feel like for good reason, sometimes like the BSA gets a lot of shit. Uh, like when I was still in the BSA, there was like a lot of controversy over like scouts who were gay. Mm-hmm. And like, there's there's still a lot of shit like that going on. Um, so it understandably gets some flack, but I still think it's like a super important thing for like young guys, especially just to like learn like the outdoor skills and stuff. Like, you know, I still remember how to tie a bunch of knots and how to start a fire and like do all this shit. And I wouldn't have known if I hadn't done that. Yeah, I wish that because I tapped out at uh, Weebelow. I got to the Weebelow level of Cub Scout. Yeah. And I was just my whole, you know, um, the getting baptized thing was really out of character for me because I was such a, like, didn't want to be a part of any group. Yeah. But so I tapped out of Weebelows, you know, in high school, I quit playing soccer and, mm. you know, p- quit playing baseball. And I was really good at both soccer and baseball. And yeah. those are all things, scouts, soccer, and baseball that mm. I, I genuinely regret not, not keeping up with, you know what I mean? Um, Cause now I'm sure my skills are trash. I'm still kind of, I'm strangely fast for a 35 year old guy. Who's not, I guess I'm in okay shape. Right. But, um, but yeah, no, I just, I really want to pass that on to my kid and be like, no, you are, this is going to be where I'm like dad mode. Like you're going to be a scout or you're, you're at least play sports or do martial arts. That was another, I was in karate, you know, Uh, I wish I had stuck with literally any of those things. Cause then I could be, uh, just, a, a, I think a person who understands teams better, right. Um, yeah. and how to be on them because, you know, that kind of, that independent streak that I have, that I still have, I do yeah. value that, but I just feel like it would have been good if it was tempered by these kind of structures, you know? Yeah. 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 I played baseball for many years when I was a kid. Um, I stopped playing when like I went into high school, but through like elementary school, middle school, I played baseball and, um, you know, like there's, there's a baseball field near my house here. And I see like, uh, like the youth leagues out there, like practicing. And I thought like, damn, I would like to coach baseball, but I'm like, I don't actually have a kid. So that might be kind of weird to go out there. And <laughs> like, dude, there's no, just, <laughs> no, no, no pedo. No, this, that's the new no homo, right? It's like no pedo. I just want to, I just want to coach this, uh, I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean there's that urge. Like I've thought about like volunteering with the scouts again or like uh doing that kind of thing, but, but 
I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I'll probably do if I have a kid. But right now, yeah. it's more of like I'll, I'll let people who have kids like do that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. You could just be, just be a weird fan on the sidelines, <laughs> like when they're tying knots. Like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I do like making fun of the kids, uh, at least mentally. I don't like heckle them, but like uh, the ones who are doing like t-ball and like they they can't seem to hit the ball off the tee, and I'm just like, Dude, man, fuck those uncoordinated. Kids. I know, fucking pathetic. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> You're trash. <laughs> Dude, I look forward to T-ball so much. I can't wait for the kid to get to get because, dude, this kid is a wild boy. He's got to he's got to be in like eight sports. He's way crazier than I was for sure, and he has no fear. He'll just like pick up earwigs and spiders off the ground. Just be like, boo, boo. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You don't touch those things. Maybe he doesn't care. But um, all right, cool. That was fun. Uh, I, I think I think where we I think where we left off was uh, so he finds F. He calls her F. Yeah, we got uh, a, which actually we, we got lost in the tunnel there. To, yeah, we got lost. Yeah, to bring yeah it, we did. We did Catab assist, dude. We, we went, de- we went deep. <laughs> um, but so he finds the, uh, this girl. He names her F. She only drinks blood. She throws up milk when he tries to feed it to her, which I thought milk was an interesting choice, but kind of makes sense, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, he wouldn't just try to give her water. It has to be milk symbolically. Yeah. Uh, no real understanding of how he got her out of those chains that yeah. she was tied to in the cave but it also doesn't matter because that would have been really boring to see him go back up and get some <laughs> you yeah. know some bolt cutters but um takes her back uh the f thing leads to i was telling kelby this actually my least favorite part of the movie is when they they add in this whole like you know shaver-esque you know he might just be this you know paranoid schizophrenic who you know because his daughter his actual real life daughter name starts with an f and you know i mean they don't uh they don't really stick with that for very long which i was i was grateful for but it feels like every movie has to do that and um i was just kind of i was kind of vibing with this whole weird uh you know descent into madness thing without the potential like oh is it all in his head it everything's in your head you know what i mean like like everything and, and this is a movie so everything's in his head um but i'll stop there actually and red if you wouldn't mind just taking us home with where this thing goes yeah um so he starts feeding uh f blood uh because she that's like the only thing she'll eat um there's like a scene where he like feeds his own blood to her which i uh talked about in the essay sort of being like an uh him like taking a maternal role where you know he can't mm-hmm. produce milk right. but he can produce blood um and I, I guess I don't mind um, the possible, you know, is he insane? Is he not? Is he really just like, is this really his daughter? And he's just like gone insane and is like chained her in the house and is like just feeding her blood and stuff. Um, because like the film comes back around, I guess we'll get to that in a second, but like, it, it does kind of like skirt that line a little bit. I don't mind it that much because of where the movie goes in the end. Um, so Masuoka starts feeding her other people's blood. Like he feeds, uh, like he kills 
this woman who claims to be his wife and you know, claims to be F's mother. Uh, he kills her and steals her blood and uses it to nourish her. And he also kills like this, like kind of like teenage girl that he like finds in a park and he like talks her into like, uh, she thinks that she's like going to make like a porno with him. And um, I think like this scene, it's all through like his perspective as he's like murdering this girl. And he, when he does it, like, cause it's this whole thing is he's like trying to understand like true fear. That's like the other byline of the movie. Like he's trying to under, like I mentioned in the beginning, he's trying to understand true fear and he wants to see like true fear in this girl's eyes as she like dies. Um, and I think like in the end, he's, he's like not happy with it. Like he says, it's like, it's beautiful, but it's not like true or something. Um, he ends up like taking uh, like F to like a karaoke bar or something. Like he takes her out in the public and then she like escapes or he maybe lets her go. And then he ends up like becoming homeless. And like he meets back up with the, uh, the ghost guy from the beginning that, that stabbed his own eye out. And they talk about how uh, maybe in the ancient past humans had the ability to see things that like weren't physical or had like, like psychic powers and stuff. It like goes into the sort of, Narrative. I think it's totally true, by the way. I think that's, yeah. I think that's real. Sorry to interrupt, no but I just had to throw that out there. Yeah. And eventually he comes back. Um, he like comes back to town after being homeless and kind of like accepts his own madness. He's like, oh, I'm just insane. I was like, I killed my wife. I was torturing my daughter. I'm actually just insane. But then he sees another Darrow. And he follows the Darrow like into a tunnel and he um, he like takes he goes back to his apartment and like F is there and he like takes her back into the underworld and like puts her back. And sort of the last part of the movie is is like a close up on his face as he has like an expression of horror on his face. So it's like he finally understands like true horror as like he is seeing it. You don't really see what happens to him. Um, I guess the implication is that she like eats him or something. Yeah, and there's also a thread in there of Men in Black, which you talk about in your essay. That's pretty, those were actually some of the most unsettling scenes in the movie, especially when the MIB is talking to him and you you suddenly realize that it's, uh, they, the, the filmmaker uh, uh, Shimizu does some interesting things with internal narration in this movie yeah. Yeah. where he, uh, you know, Masuoka is is thinking throughout this and that's the narration but that narration does get interrupted frequently and sometimes people respond to the narration uh well, by people I mean ghosts yeah. um but the MIB kind of dude those fucking distorted voices when I was a kid <laughs> watching 60 minutes or something with with my parents or grandparents like anytime they do a voice modulation on somebody yeah. it would just be a shadow it would scare the fuck out of me for some reason. I thought that shit was so creepy. So they, I think they use that to really good effect in this movie with the MIP. Yeah. Yeah. Like he occasionally gets these phone calls um, with a guy basically claiming that like they're happy with the way he's taking care of F and that like, uh, I think they're the ones who actually tell him to feed her blood um, or like intimate that he needs to feed her blood at some point. And then it's like uh, the sort of maybe he's insane thing is that it's possibly just a private detective or private eye that like his wife has hired to try to find her daughter. Um, mm -hmm. And like, oh, yeah, I forgot at the end, too, he um, he like cuts his own tongue off. 
Yeah. <laughs> like it's so, and like like kind of yeah. like feeds her blood like from his own mouth. And yeah, you mentioned you mentioned old boy. Uh yeah. But yeah, yeah. old boy, itchy the killer. There's lots of lots of classic tongue slicings. It feels like a real like Japanese movie trope for somebody to like cut their tongue off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like Asians, oh. I guess the old boy was Korean, but oh good point. Yeah, good catch. Almost yeah, that's that's there. why we that's why we can't talk about it on this uh on this <laughs> show. <laughs> we literally can't, and it's so funny because I, I feel like we talk about manga and books and movies and anime and all that's fine, but I feel like we have to draw the line at, <laughs> at, at Japanese. It has to be Japanese or Japanese art, basically. Yeah. Um but yeah, the the tongue slicing is definitely well done. The sound effects in the movie are good. You can do so much cool shit just with a yep. good sound effect because yeah. all that really happens is Sukimoto, you know, puts a box cutter in his mouth and you know, it's it's movies, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's clearly just like a thing, but the sound it, it's it's gooey and gross. Yeah, so, the, the movie, I mean, it's low budget, but it does like what it does uh effectively you know like it doesn't it doesn't i think like the only thing that looks kind of corny in it is the like the panoramic view of the mountains of madness or whatever like it's very obvious yeah but i kind of love that though <laughs> that was kind of great i mean it, <laughs> it's like it's kind of cool that it looks so fake because it is like yeah this maybe isn't real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no i i loved i love uh that kind of matte painting look that you that you suddenly get and also it's it's bright daylight you yeah, know, he's a, in, in the hollow earth. It's like, where's the, where's the light coming from? Who cares, right? But it's still, it's it's yeah. very off-putting and interesting. Yeah, and and my one of the points I make in the essay is that like he's a, a failed catabasis because he's able, he's able to like descend into the underworld, but by like cutting his own tongue off, like he kind of goes insane and is unable to communicate. Like he finally understands true fear in the end of it. Like that was his goal the entire time and all the reason mm-hmm. he murdered these people and like did all this horrible shit. Uh, but he's unable to communicate that to anyone, right? Because he's like cut right. out his own tongue. Like he's he's trapped within that. It's like um, there was one movie that like uh, Jack on the Perfume Nationalist was talking about, um, about like this these like people who are like tortured to death and they can like see something uh, right before they die that like communicate, but then like uh, this one woman learns it, but then won't tell anyone else and blows her own brains out. And it's like, I, so I, I love that when it's like somebody finds out something and they like, can't communicate it. Like, um, have you guys seen Cube? I have seen Cube. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, that's why I love the ending so much in Cube. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm you know, uh, the only person that makes it out is this like autistic, mentally handicapped guy. And, you know, he, he wouldn't be able to explain to anyone what he saw. Uh, or There's even- something to that, right? Yeah. I mean, this is this is the whole thing, uh, you know, not to keep harping on this because it's not something that I spend all day thinking about or anything, but I do, I, I do have this drum that I beat about, you know, occultists talking on Twitter and I just, yeah. I could not think of a less appropriate medium for trying to communicate uh, limit experience or psychedelic experience or anything like that than yeah. a Twitter feed. I mean, you just, you're not really supposed to talk about these things, you know, it's just something that happened and you can think back to it and be like, well, oh, that's fucked up. It's fucking weird. 
And I kind of, it's like the only thing that I could tell some people after some pretty heady, uh, you know, San Pedro cactus trips or like DMT or something like that yeah. was, uh, I think I get it. <laughs> like, what, what, do you, what do you get? Just, yeah. just it, just it. I just get it. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that was one reason why I was interested in the occult, uh, getting into it was that whole idea of like starry wisdom, right? Like, yeah. Uh, being able to experience things that like words can't describe and that like you would never be able to communicate to another person, even if you tried. And I feel like the reason people talk about this stuff a lot on social media and hell, it was the reason I talked about it a lot, like years ago. I mean, I think anybody who like gets enthusiastic about something like that, like wants to talk to other people about it. And, and what I um, found was that a lot of people talk about it because they don't really believe it's real or like they want to like reinforce their own belief and their own doubts, you know? So like, they feel like by talking about it, um, they'll make it more real to themselves. Um, and, and like the whole idea too, of like convincing skeptics or like other people that it's real. And it's like, you have to, you have to experience these things to know uh, that they exist. Like you, no one can just tell you that they, that these things happen, right? You'll never really believe it. Yeah. Unless you experience right. it. Oh, I mean, like, in like Gordon's uh, chaos protocols, like that was one of the uh, main takeaways from that book I think if, if people didn't get anything else from it is that his whole idea of like becoming invincible you, you have to have some kind of experience whether it be psychedelic near-death experience like seeing a fucking UFO or a Sasquatch or something like you've got to have some kind of experience like that or doing the headless right yeah or do the headless right yeah in order to like really uh like open yourself up to it and to like understand it in a way that like just reading it in a book or reading it in people's like Twitter threads is never going to do for you. Right. Right. Have you ever done the headless, right. Or the bornless, right. Or oh yeah. You, yeah. you have, I have, yeah. that shit scares the fuck out of me. Nah, it's not too bad. It's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a rite of exorcism. I mean, it's original context, right. It's like an exorcism. I've done it as an exorcism on someone. Um, mm -hmm. that was really like that was a pretty dramatic experience. And then like uh, recently when I went up to, um, there was this, like me and Josh Kutchin were both at this uh, paranormal conference in Nashville last year. And uh, I grew up in Alabama. So it was like pretty close. And he had to drive back to Georgia anyway, where he lives. So I was like, do you want to swing down by like where I grew up? Cause there's this like paranormal hotspot. We both read this book about uh, called the meadow project about this place that this uh, guy was describing as the skinwalker wrench of the South. Mm. And uh, you know, saying they'd seen like UFOs up there and Bigfoots and like luminous beings and all kinds of stuff. And uh, when Josh was reading it, he told me about it and he was like, this guy's saying all this stuff is happening in like this place in Georgia. But like, I have a sneaking suspicion that like, you know where this is and so i read the book too and i was like oh yeah he's talking about fucking talladega national forest it's like where i spent most of my childhood like i know exactly where he's talking about um so me and josh rode up there and we spent two nights up there and we didn't see shit <laughs> we didn't see anything right. i mean it was right there were some weird noises and stuff but it's the woods in the night yeah. you know? mm -hmm. there's always like mm -hmm. weird noises and um Eventually I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make something weird happen. And so I went and did the, uh, the headless right with him and my little oh, brother. Fuck bro. In, uh, middle of the <laughs> like a full moon in the fucking woods. And it was, it was 
interesting. I mean, like, honestly, I think it was probably more exciting for people who were in the campsite that was like a, a couple miles away because I was like really bellowing the names and doing the words and stuff. And so I'm sure somebody like heard it and was like, what the fuck is going on out there? Yeah, yeah, dude. One of the weirdest experience I experiences I ever had in a in a park was in uh, Santa Fe, right? Oh yeah. And um, what was really funny was that Rios and I were going down to Santa Fe for a weekend. We had an Airbnb and uh, she fell asleep in the car at one point and I had uh, the uh, the higher side chats mm-hmm. podcast queued up and I started listening to an episode with uh, this the guy from missing 411 the guy who investigates all the disappearances in Yellowstone yeah. and I was like you know maybe I don't need to listen to this right now uh, so I so I turned it off and she and I went on this hike with our dog Mm-hmm. And the the trail is shaped like a triangle. And, you know, we got to this point in the trail where there was a tree that looked like it had a bunch of eyeballs on it. I still have the pictures, I think, on my, on my Instagram. But there were all these kind of like Blair Witch things hanging from trees and, you know, your mm-hmm. kind of typical spooky shit. But, like, we kept going on the trail and, and something very strange started happening where we felt like we fell out of time. And by the way, like we're not talking to each other about this while it's happening because we're both so freaked out. But like, you know, we would hear people coming up the trail and then nobody would be there. Right. Yeah. And we started getting really tired. Uh, and, you know, I had to like actually, you know, stop hiking at times and go back to Rio's because she was so uh, so sleepy. But, you know, that same kind of thing that we're talking about. Right. It's like it was just a feeling that you can't really describe, but like something fucking weird was going on. Right. So we, uh, we end up getting back to our car. And as soon as we're in the car, we both, you know, bust out with like, was that fucking weird to you or what, you know, like we're, we both just start talking like crazy. Like, did, did you, did you see the, you know, the little things out of the corner of your eyes that were moving between the trees? And she was like, yeah, the shit was, I was scared shitless. So we were both fucking really scared. So anyway, we go to our Airbnb, we have a good weekend. And on the way back, you know, she takes another nap in the car uh, like she does because I'm the chauffeur. And I finally listened to that higher side chats conversation with the missing 411 guy. And he says, you know, what's really interesting is that uh, he's like, I've moved my focus away from Yellowstone and I'm really focused on Santa Fe right now because there have been so many disappearances in these, in these public parks there. And I was like, bro what the fuck god damn like that that's what happened dude so, we almost got missing 411 for sure i know we almost got missing 411 oh i left out one of these parts right it's like we uh we met these people the only people we met during this strange liminal uh experience was these two hikers who were like the guy was completely bald he had eyebrows but he was completely bald <laughs> and like his wife or whatever and once again it's like a feeling thing because they just sort of asked like hey how are you guys doing we're like oh we're fine like great day out you know a completely normal conversation but i felt like i was in a fucking david lynch movie right where i'm like there's something extremely off about these people so anyway yeah we almost got missing but we (laughs) we we survived for some reason i don't know (laughs) there It's wild when you see that, like, that, that's such a common story too. Like it's, it's scary when you start hearing like how many other people have like experiences just like that. Um, like when I was, a, uh, I I used to work at a Boy Scout summer camp 
every year when I was in high school. And uh, I remember seeing this like happen in real time um, to a group of me and like some other guys. Uh, and at this point, like I was already like into the occult, like I kind of knew about fairy lore and that kind of thing. So like I had a framework for why I thought this was happening. Um, I don't know how much I should get into this, but like we were basically like this group of me and this other guys believe that there was an ancient supernatural evil in the woods that we were mm -hmm. like doing, you know, life and death battle with. <laughs> like, right, right, it's one right, of those right, things right. where it's like, I don't know how real it was and how much it was us like LARPing, you know? Cause there was like weird uh, shit that happened that reinforced it. But part of me, like as an adult looks back on it and it's like, maybe we were just kind of like psyching each other out a little bit, you know? But that's the thing, right? It's like uh, Gordon's tarot course really opened this up for me on Red Soup, where it's like that game that you guys were playing is real, you know, and yeah. it's in it's in the playing that it becomes real. Yeah, but I yeah, didn't man, believe that it's something like that was going on. Uh, like we had reasons because I had like some of my students because uh, I taught like marriage bad marriage batch classes and shit, and some of my kids were like coming up to me and being like, "We've been having nightmares at night." I don't know why they chose me to like talk to you about this but they were like telling me how they were having nightmares and uh one of their kids like one of their um, bunk mates got thrown across a bunk uh just like thrown across the room by something invisible at one point Fuck. and they could have been just like I, they seem like legitimately scared like mm -hmm. it didn't mm -hmm. seem like they were just trying to rev me up or just telling me some crazy stuff um and like a couple of my friends there were like into the like call and stuff. Like one of my friends had a copy of like the Necronomicon, like the Simonomicon. Yeah, right. The Simonomicon. So, yeah. Yeah. Very like high school type occult shit. But like we started to believe that, the, you know, it was, there was like something behind it. And at one point I, we were all going up to this area where we thought that this thing like lived. And one of the guys I was with was like, oh, I see something over there and started running in like a direction, just like completely left the group. And then another guy was like, I see something over there. And he ran off in another direction. And then another guy ran off in another direction. And I was like, like, I was like, where the fuck are you going? Like, like stick together. And like their eyes were just like glazed over. Like they did. they wouldn't And it was like, they all kind of like saw something different. And for me, it was like, something's trying to split us up, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Trying get everybody split up and so i had to like physically like restrain some of these guys and be like no we stick together like we're not going to split up stay together mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, well, it's wild to see that happen and like see that come over people um like in, in folklore it's called like being fairy led you know mm. well this is the spooky stories podcast <laughs> <laughs> kelby do you have any spooky stories Man, I was trying to, not any that I can just whip out like uh, that. The, 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 the Faye are just like, dude, this bro, this dude's going to fucking shoot us if we try to take him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kelby, yeah. Kelby just starts bussing, just pop, pop, pop. Yeah. Why were you shooting at random shit in the woods? It's like, well, are you still here? Are you intact? You're welcome. I didn't <laughs> Well, and I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I always lived pretty close to the woods, so uh, I don't know if it was such a, a closeness that made it harder to think of it as a travel, um, you know, like a threshold crossing, 
but I mean, definitely went off venturing into the woods a whole lot as kids and, you know, sometimes like stealing our parents 22s or something in case we ran into a hog or whatever and, or a fairy. And, uh, <laughs> the, it's not uh, talking about the mythical creature here, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, South Texas and the dark shit, South Texas, bro. <laughs> and that David Pilates guy is is hilarious. That's um, who it is. Yeah, David. Yeah, yeah David Pilates. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went to a talk that he did um, at this. It was like a cryptozoological conference in Kentucky, and uh, at that time he was because he's always been very tight-lipped about like what he thought was going on in these parks right like he's like i you know i'm not going to make any claims about what's happening because he wants to maintain this like respectability but i think that he thinks it's like bigfoot stuff because he really got into like uh like he wrote this book called the hoopa project that was all about like their uh, research into like bigfoot and um i remember the funniest part of that talk was he was talking about how they uh they had hair samples that they would get by putting tape around like a hollow in a tree and they would put McDonald's like McGriddles in the in the tree, and <laughs> for some reason Bigfoots love McGriddles, and <laughs> they would like, it's like um, some Harry and the Henderson shit. Yeah, uh, the pictures in that book are hilarious because they like every one of the Bigfoots. They don't look scary at all. They all have like big smiles on their faces, and they just look like happy. And I I don't know what to make of that of that turn uh, when he went to that. It, it's very strange, but like the missing 411 stuff is like super super creepy to me like i still go back once you go down that rabbit hole dude you can't come back from it you know some of those stories are just too fucking weird i think some of the scariest ones to me is are like ones that happen in cities like he did a whole uh, series of those that like happen and one of them happened here in like minneapolis um Mm -hmm. where like people like a guy was like uh waiting for his girlfriend to pick him up or something and he like calls her and like she's like really close by and by the time she gets there he's just like gone and she gets a call from him and it sounds like like a lot of wind or something is around him and she can't hear what he's saying and that's like the last thing she ever hears from him no fuck that shit bro Uh -uh. uh-uh i'm not fucking with any of that no this this shit is all so scary but it's all it's again people who you know sort of want to maintain their uh you know their who don't want to have the starry wisdom right yeah. Yeah. i respect that i completely yeah. respect that you know you were talking earlier about you know you have to kind of experience these things but i realize that at a certain point there are some people who even that's not going to be good yeah. enough for them like i think i told you this story i don't think i told it on the podcast but i went to go see uh i was house sitting for a friend in brooklyn and duncan trussell was having a live podcast and so i, I went to it at the bell house and um the guest was Hamilton Morris, Errol Morris's son, mm-hmm. uh, who's who's known for doing the Hamilton's pharmacopoeia on Vice. Yeah. And uh, after the show, I was just pissy drunk. And so I went up and was like, can I just like hang out with you guys? And to their credit, they were like, yeah, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. So everybody went to a bar after that. And I was just like sitting at this bar uh, talking about Dune with Duncan Trussell. And then he got into a conversation with Hamilton. And so I was dropping some eaves and, uh, Duncan was like really grilling him. Like, so you've done all these drugs and you still 
don't think anything weird is going on at all. Yeah. And this guy was like, nope, no, it's all chemical. It's all just, you know, molecules moving around and, you know, so there are guys like that. Like what, what that really opened up for me was the idea that there are guys out there and girls um, who nothing's ever going to be good enough. They're going to be like, no, no. And I think that's kind of a fear, right? It's, it's, it's a fear of, of what's actually out there. Because you can listen to Missing 411, uh, the audiobooks or the interviews or whatever. And if you're like me, who, you know, I'm kind of gullible. I'll admit it. Like, I kind <laughs> of believe shit. Yeah. But still, you listen to that and you're like, no, there's something fucked up going on in Yellowstone, dude. <laughs> I'm never going yeah. there. Yeah, that's true. David will believe uh, it's a big responsibility on me being his best friend because he believes everything that you tell him. And that's uh, true. Yeah, that's why I, I got to refrain from telling him he's gay so much. So he doesn't <laughs> like, you know, because I, I love his family and I don't want to shatter it to pieces. But <laughs> You know, though, it's, it's more fun to be like that, though, to just sort of like, like, because there's a lot of shit that I talk about that I like kind of believe but also kind of don't believe like that the moon is a uh, an ancient artificial weapons platform uh in i that. believe that shit yeah it because it's, it's hollow cool. right it, it rings like yeah. a bell yeah it rings like a bell it's it's got like basically like the like daryl like broken down automatons that were left there like millions of years ago to like observe the earth and stuff and like you know part of me knows like okay this probably isn't true but it's more mm-hmm. fun to believe it's true. And it's more fun. Like, always like everything's true. Like, fuck it. You know? Yeah. Everything's true. That, that this is the Alex Jones mindset that I think more people have to adopt. Right. Yeah. Everything's true because you end up being right about shit. Yeah. At a pretty uh, spectacular ratio to the, to the shit. And when you're wrong about shit, you're like, Oh yeah, you know, whatever it's, it's fine. Yeah. But then, but you, you, you're also right about a lot of stuff. I heard about the moon too, that it's, um, it's just really irregular for it to be the distance that it is. There's something going on with like the yeah. distance of the moon from the earth. That's it's, it's, the moon's really too perfect. Up. Yeah. It's too, it's too perfect. Like the distance the moon is from the earth is like, uh, like basically like perfect and like, it doesn't make sense for how big the moon is. Like the other thing is just the moon is, fucking huge for a planet of our size right mm-hmm. like look at the moons of like uh like mars they're tiny compared to our moon um our moon is comparable to like moons of like jupiter and, and like bigger planets it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense that like the moon is is our moon um right it's, it's too big really and like and yeah it's got all kinds of weird shit on it like uh like astronomers from back like even in like the 1500s and shit, we're talking about seeing strange flashes of light on the surface, like seeing dust trails and things on the surface of the moon. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then like, there's the whole uh, Ingo Swan like penetration book where he does like remote viewing of the moon and like figures out that it's like inhabited, that there's like somebody else there. And that's why we haven't been back. We haven't sent mm-hmm. man missions back to the moon because like there's somebody already on the moon and they don't want us there. You know, like we don't want to accidentally spark like a fucking cosmic, war with whoever's it's already fucking, there it's true dude it's true don't go to the fucking moon. do you think we went to the moon in the first place oh yeah i think we went i think 
yeah. we went and we found shit yeah, me too. there yeah. that like and we fucked off and we haven't been back i like the idea that we went to the moon but that the footage is actually still fake because of the yeah. i guess magnetism in the earth's atmosphere would have ruined the tapes or something like that mm-hmm. back back in the day i buy that as a yeah. as a thing like yeah we we both did go and the pictures and shit that we see from it are fake one of my favorite things to do on twitter is to just like look at uh like telescope pictures of saturn or whatever and just quote tweet them with the word fake (laughs) i I just i just get a kick out of it yeah (laughs) i I definitely think that's possible because like if you think about how like politicized us going to the moon was uh you know you if you were a country that like the entire like credibility of your country you're you're locked in this cold war with like the other world superpower and you're going to be sending the first man mission to the moon. Like, are you going to leave it up to chance that something spectacularly fucked up happens? And like, you know, mm-hmm. like no one can at that point, like no one can really prove you didn't go to the moon. So why not just fake the footage and kind of ensure that it's successful? Because even if it's unsuccessful, you could just be like, oh, well, they crashed on the way back. You could set up some sort of accident, you know, where they mm-hmm. you know that there was a horrible accident and all the astronauts died on reentry or something. Uh, if you need to shut the Russians up. went to the moon, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Do, do I, they have footage of the moon? Actually, I'm not sure. I'd have to look I it just, up. I don't know about that. If, if, the, if they don't, that's case closed, bro. If they if the Russians <laughs> don't have footage, then that's that's a wrap for me. The, the footage I, I of the moon is fucking fake. I like I like I know we went to the moon because there's like mirrors on the moon that you can bounce a laser off of that we put there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like I do believe we've been there. I just believe that we haven't been back because uh you know, it wasn't, we weren't alone up there. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of like the whole, uh, like, um, fucking Joe Farrell cosmic war hypothesis that like, uh, millions of years ago, like humanity was kind of like, like my own personal mythology here is that like, we're living in like the post-apocalypse already. Like we're right. living in sort of yes. of a like solar empire, like that the, all of the planets of the, the solar system used to be inhabited and, and we got wiped the fuck out like millions of years ago and like basically sent back to the stone age. Wait, when you say all the planets, does that mean that the other planets have beings on them? I think they did. I don't think they do anymore. They did. I they think like Mars and okay. Venus were both inhabited like in the ancient, ancient past. And then I could buy that. I could totally buy that, especially Mars. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you the weapons there's that atmosphere. there's that famous uh, CIA. And this is available on the CIA's website that they did with remote viewing the moon uh, yeah. like 134 million years ago. Yeah. And the guy describes uh, essentially being a appearing to Martians as a ghost. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just really tall people. I mean, pyramids on, I mean, dude, Mars was a hundred percent inhabited. And there's, right, aren't there signs of like uh, some kind of nuclear war that sort of ended Mars, right? Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a particular isotope of xenon that is like present in the atmosphere of Mars that is really anomalous. Like the only, uh, there's no like presence of that uh, isotope in our own Earth atmosphere until then we start doing nuclear tests in the 50s. Um, so it's closed like there's no natural explanation for that other than like at some point there was like a nuclear detonation on mars and if you look at stuff like um like what's that big canyon on mars it's like the it's like 
a hundred times bigger than the Great Canyon or the Grand Canyon, but it's literally like a scar. It looks like a fucking laser beam has like carved into the side of Mars. If you look at it, Mar- Mariner Valley. Yeah, yeah. It it looks. I just insane. looked it up. I didn't know that shit. I, it's yeah. I'm seeing the picture right now. It's as big as the U.S. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense, like uh, from like a like a geological standpoint, right? Like it looks just like something was cut into the side of the planet by something, and and like I think the same thing with Venus too. Like Venus was just fucked up so bad that it's like or it's like you know rotation was all screwed up, and you know it's just a a wasteland now. Um, I remember reading in a popular science when I was a kid what life on Venus would look like, and it yeah. was uh, like flying manta rays with these tube <laughs> mouths. Yeah, like that's that seems legit. That's cool. Yeah. Like Venus, actually, I probably I think there's probably life on Venus, not like on the surface, but like in the cloud layer, because mm-hmm. like there's a lot of organic chemicals in the clouds, like all the stuff that you need life to exist for life, like water, sulfur, all the kind of stuff you need is like in the clouds of Venus. Um, like the surface is like hellish. Yeah, like it's got like a, the pressure there is enormous, super hot. But up in yeah. the top layers, like it's like Earth-like temperatures like pretty decent temperature up in the cloud layer and the clouds are so dense that like stuff could easily be like floating in them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's actually one reason, like, you know, people talk about, Oh, make a Mars colony because they're, they're fucking stupid. But like Mars sucks. Like you don't want to have a colony on Mars. Mars has no No. fucking atmosphere. It's cold as shit. It's a giant desert, like, you know, impossible for us to like live there. And like the gravity is like a third of earth. Right. So like, right we have no idea what like effect that would have on babies and people trying to get pregnant or whatever. Like it's never going to work for us to live on Mars, but Venus, Venus has almost the same gravity as earth. Uh, It has the dense cloud layer to provide protection. It doesn't have a magnetic field like earth, but the clouds provide protection from radiation. Mm -hmm. And like within the cloud layer, the temperature is like pretty normal. And it's like, and you have atmospheric pressure, which is like a big thing. It has an atmosphere. Like, you think about uh, like having a colony on Mars, if somebody gets pissed off and like shoots a hole in a wall, like the whole fucking colony just instantly depressurizes, you know, it's that's like- what I've always thought. Of. Like it's, <laughs> it's too susceptible to uh, acts of domestic terrorism. Yeah. I miss maintaining atmospheric pressure is an enormous like engineering challenge. Right. And like, you don't even have to worry about that on Venus. So like, I think if we ever have, colonies on any other planets in the solar system it's going to be like uh i don't know like cloud city like floating cities on venus because you could this build like floating cities there that's tight oh we went way off topic on that one. <laughs> no it's <was> awesome no it's <laughs> fucking well, awesome this whole no. tangential uh you know conversation has been very um in vain with <laughs> the tone of the movie actually and yeah. that like and i think even like in talking about the things that are impossible to articulate or that you shouldn't articulate once reaching that knowledge like that's sort of what this movie is about too like yeah. he's trying to attain this knowledge of true fear yeah. and when he discovers it he's unable to communicate it and then pulling the layer like peeking behind the curtain with that like that's what Takashi Shimizu he's after making like 80 something movies that are all in this you know obviously I haven't seen all of them you know I've seen the most popular ones and this one but like he's 
repeatedly conveying this message of horror um, or trying to express this this tone, this vibe that uh, you can't articulate any other way but through art. Like you, it has to be something that is felt. You can't just say it. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, the, this movie is also based on a novel by Chiaki Kanaka. I really wish that America would fucking get on its game and translate some of these novels because you'll watch an incredible movie like this, which I really like this movie. I thought it was really great. Um, and you're, as, as a novelist, I wonder how, what does it look like? You know, like, what does it look like as, as a book? But I mean, I felt the same way about uh, Agitator, actually, the namesake of the podcast. You know, Ag- Agitator is a novel that's never been translated. So what is that like? You know, um, but yeah, I final thoughts on Marabito before okay. we. I, I didn't realize around. that uh, Kanaka was the fucking Digimon Tamers guy. I've never, oh, really? I've never watched uh, Digimon Tamers, but I've it's like I've heard the legends about it being like incredibly horrifying, like Lovecraftian fiction, but just like mm. the Digimon universe. That's so <laughs> sick. I love it when shit like like when Brian Evanson wrote a Dead Space book or an Alien book. Uh-huh. That's that's totally my shit because Evanson is a uh, he's one of my favorite novelists alive right now. He was he was on my podcast way back. I think episode five or six, I had Evanson on and he, he wrote last days, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, the subtle night. I mean, like he, uh, or no, the wavering knife, uh, was his book. Um, but, uh, he's so good. And then he had this run where he was just doing tie-in novels. And that to me is this, extremely interesting synthesis of you know working with a a nerdy ip but being really good (laughs) it's just so compelling to me like his alien book is called no exit like the sar book right like um and it 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 goes to some really strange places so i don't know yeah the the fact that this dude wrote a digimon book like i want to read all of this like I, i feel like i need to learn japanese (laughs) <laughs> there's just, like an just to read these fucking books there's like an incredible note on the wikipedia page for him where he says that um he wrote a strange drama for digimon tanner's uh yeah. tamer's 20th anniversary that was performed at like a con like some kind of like conference or something and the drama featured the cast of the show being confronted by a physical manifestation of political correctness that uses cancel culture as an attack <laughs> 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 and it apparently like caused a bunch of people to get like really hurt, like butthurt about it. And get... <laughs> what was it that I remember the show being awesome? Uh, but I, w- I was a kid when I watched it, so I had like I didn't realize that it had this sort of uh notoriety behind it. Yeah, like I've never I've never seen it, but like I've always heard that about it, that it was kind of like um like there's another anime series like uh Madoka, like Puella something, whatever, magical Madoka. That's like a magical girl anime and it looks like very cute and stuff, like on the surface. But in reality, it's like this horrifying Lovecraftian like nightmare. 
And it seems like a, like sort of like that. <coughs> yeah. I need to watch it at some point because I, I didn't know that he wrote that. And like, I definitely got to check out more of his stuff. It is nightmarish. I, I do remember that because I thought I, I had in my head that it was just the original Digimon. Cause that was mm. my version of Digimon that I watched. Oh yeah. And um, I wanted to show Rowan like some, you know, animes and stuff and that were like on his level or whatever and i i found digimon but it was the original i was like the fuck is this shit like it was way darker than this like i feel like it was cooler and shit oh yeah he also did the uh the big o and um lane like serial experiments lane which i was a big fan of when i was a kid wait the same guy that we're talking yeah. about yeah she had all these things okay so i want to pause for a second then and say what a goaded bibliography this guy has. Yeah. And this is this is like goals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For real. To have a bibliography that includes something like Lane, Marabito, but also uh, Digimon that apparently caused quite a ruckus. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of shit that I'm aiming for, right? Because that is really inhabiting the spirit of just doing cool shit and yeah. kind of kind of uh imposing your will on these ips right like you, you're you're gonna take them and do whatever you want with them yeah and it's obvious the guy has like a real deep like um obsession with like conspiracy theories and stuff because lane's full of that shit with like uh high frequency we're gonna do, do lane yeah you want to come back you want to come back for lane at a certain point like I think i'd love to cool. yeah because i, I want to rewatch it anyways i haven't watched it since i was in high school i really want to do a rewatch so cool but yeah, that's, I mean, that's totally like, I was uh, looking up old Indiana Jones books. And so now one of my goals is to, I don't even care if, you know, Lucasfilm, uh, you know, hires me to do it or not. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to write some Indiana Jones books and just put them out for free. You know, I just oh, want to yeah. play, play, play in other IPs. Yeah, I think should... about that shit all the time yeah just like some crazy fan fiction but not like um i feel like that's another thing that like uh like thesis of this show is like the purpose of making art isn't like uh it's not this western uh, i mean that's why we're so focused on you know eastern shit is because the western mindset around art it, like generally speaking just does not um but like it's not on the same wave as like what we're trying to catch and mm-hmm. it's this like it's not about creating for fun necessarily and when it's like just do shit that's cool because it's cool like that's not saying like that that's we're tapping into the subconscious right and just trying to like that comes out in a whole bunch of different forms and I think the people who are so tapped into that are people like Miike and people like Kanaka who have this kind of, uh, you know, filmography and bibliography uh, under their belt that is like all over the map with things that are oh, mainstream or uh, or underground. Like I want to be post that shit. Like that's too much of a you know 
uh, to be that person. So too much of a materialist capitalist mindset on mm-hmm. on it. Like it's it um post mainstream, post um underground, post indie. Like that's not what it is. That's not the point. It's subconscious creation. Bro, uh, let's let's collab, Kelby. Let's write Itchy the Killer too. Oh <laughs> shit. You guys, yeah, that, that exists. You guys know that, right? I didn't know that. Have you read Listen, the let's write, too. let's write <laughs> Itchy the Killer three. <laughs> the movie, there's not a movie version of it, but yeah, the manga. I read the entire manga, and it, it goes, isn't is, isn't it a prequel though? I thought the manga was a prequel. If I'm remembering it correctly, it sort of is. Like a lot of shit that like happens in the movie happens in the manga, but there's a lot of stuff that's like not in the movie. Okay. Okay. So it's definitely worth it. Like if you ever, uh, you should read the manga for it because it's, it's it's got the same vibe as the movie. Oh yeah, we definitely have to do some research and make sure that we're kind of continuing on that. But I love how that these cool movies it- do. Like a lot of these movies, like Ichi the Killer and Mari Bito. Like I saw these movies because they were like the only Japanese movies that like the local like uh, blockbuster or whatever. On Tartan, right? The Tartan Asia Extreme. Line. Yeah, Tartan Asia Extreme. Yep. Yep. Yeah, same dude. I mean, like that's how I that's how I saw Itchy. Uh, I never saw this one, which is really weird because it was always there. I think the cover wasn't. If it had the sort of a psychedelic seventies inspired Haosu yeah. poster that I've seen online that that it does have, I probably would have watched it. But the the um, the tartan version is just f uh, you know naked, kind of in shadows, and I was like, ah, yeah. I remember actually looking at that and thinking like, oh, it looks a little bit like a kind of a Juan knockoff, which is funny, <laughs> right? Yeah, considering. Find a guy. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a this is a great movie. I uh I'll probably watch it again. How many times have you seen it, Ren? Um probably five or six times. I don't rewatch five movies a lot. Yeah. Okay. I've seen it like I had to watch it. I watched it several times, like when I was writing the essay on it. Uh, just to make sure that like I you know had everything straight but yeah like I, I rented it you know from the video store when I was a kid uh, when I was in high school um, I was really obsessed with like like Japanese movies like this so awesome well I think that'll wrap it up for today um, thanks so much for coming on come back for Lane yeah I, I'd love to let me know all right cool any parting thoughts Kelby well when we come back for Lane we'll be uh plugging our itchy the killer three <laughs> no i feel like now we have to do that and this it sucks ass because i'm balls deep in this novel that i'm writing right now <laughs> and now all i want to do is write itchy the killer three <laughs> that's how it happens yeah but, that's how it happens hey red thanks man thanks a lot no i appreciate it i'm honored to be on the show like uh, you guys are one of my favorite podcasts so i'm, I'm, I'm extremely happy to be on i hope some at some point you guys do an episode on verses as well. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. 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 That's a, that director uh, did a bunch of cool shit. I think we've talked about one of his movies on the show. Yeah. Kitamura. Um, he did. Um, Actually, you know, uh, you guys talked about metal gear, the twin snakes, the GameCube version of that had all those. Remakes, oh, and he directed, he, he, he directed that. Oh, okay. Okay. That's why they're I all remember- like, over the top wire Kung Fu type shit. <laughs> I remember being really kind of baffled by verses when I watched it uh, because, you know, I was so um, there was some hype for it. 
right? And I think we're all of that age where if you went to the websites that we went to, I think it was like, ain't it cool? Hyped up yeah. uh, verses a lot. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it and being like, this all takes place like in the same forest. It had a, it had a very yeah. kind of DIY feel to it. And at, at, when I watched it at like, you know, 16 or whatever, I didn't really know what to make of it, but I feel like, I feel like we can get some mileage out of it at yeah. 35. It's super, it's super, super low budget. And like, it is basically just like a dude and his friends like fucking around in the woods with like swords and stuff. Like, right. But it wasn't marketed that way. You know what I mean? Like it was oh, marketed yeah. like some kind of like, you know, big budget, uh, you <laughs> know, live at live action anime. You know, the, the, the poster looks amazing. Yeah. You know, the, trailers all look cool and then i watched it and i was like what the fuck? what is this <laughs> i mean it's like uh my my two favorite things from that are the fact that like they couldn't afford prop swords so like the swords that they're using in it are actually like sharp as shit and they like really were like being super dangerous it was like that's like dope texas chainsaw type so thing cool. where they were like very much yeah. nearly killing each other that's when i when i make a movie it's gonna have real guns because i'm yeah. not <laughs> i'm not getting a bunch of prop guns <laughs> you're like i already own all these guns why the fuck would i buy a prop gun and there's that uh that one character in the movie who like just keeps increasingly telling like crazier stories about himself he was like i was trained in langley virginia he's like an fbi agent or something yeah. and he ends up getting like he has that huge sniper rifle and shit. <laughs> like that movie's wild. I love it. Like that one, and um, there's another Mike one. Did did Mike do Yakuza Demon? Uh, he did. Yes, he did Yakuza yeah. Demon. That yeah, movie with uh, with uh, Takeuchi Rico yeah. Takeuchi. Yeah, that movie's sick. That was one of my favorites when I was a kid. But awesome. Well, dude, well I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll just keep having you back, man. Because uh, this, <laughs> anytime this, this you want to invite great. me on, I'm happy to. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, you, you got Yaku- y- Yakuza Demon versus and Lane. So we'll, we'll have to space this out, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there, there's so much actually, you know, with doing this show, um, mm-hmm. sometimes I get this like silly idea in my head of like, where are we going to go next? And then you're like, oh yeah, there are thousands of Japanese movies yeah. that exist. You mentioned Haosu, like Haosu's amazing, like uh, right. Battle Royale. Like I haven't heard people talk about Battle Royale. We're we're gonna do Battle Royale actually with a, a insane rapper who directly Cal- con- Kawasaki, yeah, who directly contacted us on the day of the Uvalde shooting and said, "I would, I would <laughs> Battle Royale my classroom to be on the Battle Royale episode." And I was like, "Fuck, you're perfect. You're perfect for the show. <laughs> That's gonna be a fun. <laughs> Just a pure, beautiful soul." <laughs> pure and beautiful yes kawasaki come on agitator let's do the damn thing all right i'm gonna press stop now guys all right cool thanks everyone have a good night guys all right, all right dude later hell yeah